Should we get started here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm at, oh, hi, everyone. This is Seth Partnow. This is the Colin Shots podcast on Colin. Uh, you know me from The Athletic, uh, Stats Bomb, and please buy the mid-range theory. Soon to be out uh, in audiobook format uh, from, from, I believe, Tantor Publishing. Um, I think oh, good. Are you... You, you did you do the reading? Oh no no that was that was a hard uh, negotiating point. Is like I, if if they want me to read it, absolutely not. And they were like, no, we don't want you to read it. And so thank you. So that was uh, no. It's apparently there's a thriving community of voice actors who kind of do book reading and they have like niches and stuff. Uh, I yeah. think the person who's reading mine has done a bunch of sports books because he's got sports book reader voice or something. So yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not going to be Jim Dale. <laughs> the guy, the guy who did the Harry Potter. I, I, I don't think those so, are the no. first audio books I really, I really listened to. Uh, the, the the first ones I listened to were this is we're getting off into a rousing start here. But the first ones I listened to was there was uh, in the 1970s, like the BBC did a, a multi-reader production of Lord of the Rings, uh, and I listened to that over and over again when I was when I was in, you know like eight or 10. And I think, I think even several of the actors who ended up in the movies were actually had parts in it, but that's, that's really far afield. Um, hi everyone. Uh, enough, enough of our pre-show nerdery. Uh, I'm joined today by Nate Duncan of, uh, dunked on NBA podcast and many other places, which I'm sure he can fill you in on. Nate, how you doing? Thanks for joining me. Yeah, I'm doing well. Actually, I, I managed to get my proprietary Apple technology to work this time so i apologize for the false start if some of y'all were open to hear us on thursday but uh i was moving and then misplaced my ipad which is the only piece of apple technology that i own and the reason i own it is because of there are certain apps in this space that only work on apple and that's why i bought myself a used ipad but i'm an android man through and through well, you'll be happy to know that uh, that that the the call and Android app is is coming out uh, sometime in the next month or so. So that's uh, uh, yeah. We'll we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as 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 uh, from Colin is in the room and he's I, I, he he's probably turning behind the screen. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was I was thinking about this because I had, uh, I had Jake Fisher on a couple weeks ago and. And we were talking uh, at that point. We were talking about how the Hornets need to upgrade their center, and and you know they've got Mason Plumley, which he made some crack about how much you love Mason Plumley, which made me think that uh, of the first time we ever podcasted together was about eight years ago when Mason oh, Plumley inexplicably was chosen for Team USA over Paul Millsap. And well, I, I, was, I wouldn't say inexplicable. Yeah, well, that's true. Like, he went to Duke. Explicable. Yeah, he went to Duke, so that's why. And, and um, that was. And that was the coach. Yeah, I mean, they, I, I they also, like, all right. Well, we'll go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but that also led me that led me to I was listening to as as people probably know, uh, Nate and and Danny who was on earlier this week do the uh, do a mock trade deadline exercise with 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 those two and Kevin Pelton and Dan Feldman where they each kind of take the part of teams and do trades and it was the 7th annual so i was just I, I was just um marveling at the fact that we've been we've been kind of at this this long it doesn't really seem like that long you know it's funny i i was told before i turned 30 or or i turned 30 and i, I had a friend who was a little bit younger than me and she made fun of me 
when I turned 31, she's like, oh, no, no, this is much, much worse than turning 30. You are now in your 30s. And so I was thinking of that, of like, you know, now being about to turn 42. But, like, we are now in the 2020s decade, right? Like, 2022, that is, like, you know, things that happened in 2014 were almost 10 years ago now. Like, eight years ago is, like, basically 10 years ago. So I'm... yeah. Uh, it's it, and also just to be like this is almost the ten year anniversary of when I first started writing about the NBA and you know, I didn't really make it full time until seven years ago. But yeah, I mean that's we're we're vets now, man. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's that's the interesting thing about uh, about you know when you get to we're both in our forties and you get to this age and it's just like you've seen whole careers come and go come and go and it's just like there's guys who are retiring that were like young guys when you that that you were first excited about and it's 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 i i kind of think like uh lebron lebron carmelo those guys cuz i was re, they're the first superstars for which i was like fully an adult when they kind of came up and and now that i've that for their whole careers anyway enough of of, of us old guying um i i would i guess that's a natural way since it's coming up on trade trade season or deadline season um, how do you think that the the NBA sort of transaction landscape has changed since you've been watching it? We've we've talked offline about this that it really does seem like it's it's gotten sharper out. It's gotten what? It's gotten sharper. The the uh, the, the there are fewer oh. just like what the hell are they doing things that happen than there were yeah eight years yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean, so. I think like like what was the last trade that happened? Where you were just like, "Holy shit, these guys are insane!" I, I, like my, I, there's probably some recently. I, I mean, there's definitely free agent signings more so. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the one of the moves I, I hated on most this summer was, uh, you know, the Bulls getting DeRozan, and so, um, so, <laughs> so that that you know, kind of even the ones that yeah. make look look crazy occasionally work out to some degree. So. But yeah, yeah, no, it's you have to go back to like the uh like the Stauskas trade or something like that for there to be something yeah, that's yeah, just that's, like nonsense. The quintessential one. The quintessential one. So they could sign Rondo and Marco Bellinelli. Costa Cufos. Costa Cufos. That was yeah. The, they gave up like a swap and a future first to do that. Essentially to clear the space to sign those guys. That was so pretty yeah that was the early blotta years <laughs> no so i asked that because i feel like that um changes how we we look at this you know it it used to be you could almost almost you know if you're a fan of a team you could wish cast some well we'll get the good player for one of our bad players and that just seems like something you can't do anymore so how does that affect how you kind of view the deadline and, and obviously the the exercise of going through it with other people who are deeply in, in in depth with it, I'm sure helps with this. But does that has that changed how you view the deadline and how does that? Yeah, but just basically, how does that affect how the deadline is going to shake out? Well, I think it's really you mentioned, OK, we can get a good player for one of our bad players. I think it's gone very far in the opposite direction now where getting anybody who can do anything is a, a very dear price it seems like in, in terms of either that player is 
quite overpaid or you have to give up a lot to get the guy. And we've, we've seen things kind of fluctuate throughout the course of our NBA coverage lifetimes on that point, right? If you look at right when we were first starting, you had that 2013 trade of the Pierce Garnett trade with, I think it was three first and two swaps. I can't remember which. It, no, I actually might have only been, whatever. It was way too much for the, the Nets <laughs> to give up in there. They had already given up more to get Joe Johnson, and so they thought they were creating the super team, and they, they just weren't. I mean, I still think that that team could have been better than it was. Like, Darren Williams immediately falling off a cliff as soon as that deal was made was not something that necessarily could have been anticipated because he'd been good the previous year. But And maybe things would have turned out differently for that group if he hadn't suffered such a precipitous decline. But So then after that, there was a reaction also caused, I think, by the rising cap and rookie salaries not rising that made teams just would not give up a first-round pick for anything. And then you also throw in during that period that there was so much cap room and the extension rules were so limited that you basically, everyone was getting to free agency. And so the way to get stars or, or to get good players was in free agency and to trade for someone, it just, no one wanted to give up first round picks because they were so valuable. And then that I, really persisted. I, I mean, if you look so if at I can like, break in yeah, there, sorry. please, please. No, if I can break the, you know, if I can break in there, it's, it's, um, that was the theory. I don't think that was like functionally actually true, which is sort of the, the, the interesting thing about this is that it sort of becomes a uh, an equilibrium that to adhere to. And, and a lot of times the teams that end up doing the best are the one who's like, no, like we're not going to overpay in free agency. We're going to give up a little bit now to get a guy who is actually like fairly paid and he can be on our team this year instead of like waiting for a year to to or waiting for, for half a season to overpay moderately to extremely for a guy who then might not actually be good for us. Yeah, no, I, I think so. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's just like if if you're looking at how it's evolved, then even if you go back to 2018, right? Kawhi Leonard got traded for very little, right? It ended up being the 29th pick and Jakob Pertl essentially, and then also they they got Danny Green in that deal too, um, and Demar Derozan obviously as well, but Derozan just didn't have the same value it at that point. Um, and obviously Toronto wanted to make moves. So that was, that was a low price at that point. And even, even someone like Kyrie Irving at his point in his career, when he got traded, that was basically ended up just being like one good first round pick that in theory had some high upside because it was unprotected that Nets pick, but ended up being the number eight pick. And that was for two years of Kyrie Irving who was in his prime. Then the 2019 offseason happens, and the you saw a team trading its whole draft again, the, the Clippers for PG to also get Kawhi at the same time. And then I think because the Clippers, a smart organization, did that, just because that was what people started doing, then you see all these teams now, like Milwaukee, hey, it was worth it for Drew Holiday. They won the championship last year, and then Brooklyn did the same with James Harden. L.A. came pretty close to that with Anthony Davis as well. Uh, so, although that was preceded the PG deal by a couple of weeks. So that was, and now we've gone really in the opposite direction, especially because now there isn't cap space. Players don't want to get to free agency. They can get 
huge extensions. And so I think there is at some point going to be, and it's going to take a few years, both in terms of the profligate extensions that are being given out for guys in the thirties, like the Jimmy Butler extension, for example, or the crazy trading of draft picks. I mean, we're going to start to see that now, maybe with the Clippers, the net situation may already be imploding at this point. And so maybe I think at some point we'll see a change back in the opposite direction. But as of right now, I mean, teams are, and, and then also the few throw in the play in as well. So teams are just so now focused. Nobody wants to trade anybody. And so it just takes a, a crazy price to get anybody who's decent on the trade market at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I think the, 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 the point I kind of wanted to get to in a roundabout way is it seems like this deadline is going to be a little locked up because teams are, are almost struggling to take yes for an answer now because they've seen that like the line of player who gets the, the everything you got offer. It seems like the line of player that warrants that is kind of continually being pushed down, at least in the, the mind of the, 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 the trading team. Like now we're seeing these, these ad, like I was, I was laughing when you guys were doing the mock deadline. It's like, oh, you know, the Pacers want two firsts and a significant player for DeMontis Sabonis. And it's like, he's a, okay, yeah. he's a well, good the player. the Magic but... just got that for an inferior player. Why, why, why shouldn't they want that? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's just funny the way that previous mistakes have a way of setting the market that way. Yeah, well, I think it just hasn't. Some of these deals, just not quite enough time has passed yet to brand them as mistakes. And the Bulls are playing well, right? So the Vucevic trade, which I think was a mistake, is that hasn't come back to roost yet for them. And, you know, they gave up a big price at the time for DeMar DeRozan, and that's working pretty well for them. They're like, they're big darlings right now. Uh, So, and it just, it seems like most of the teams so far like, because I'm trying to think of which of the teams that have made these big bets, granted those big bets go out six years into the future, uh, but it's kind of like, oh, it looks like these deals have actually paid off for these teams so far, right? Over the, It's only been two or three years, and hey, you got these players, and oh yeah, you know, everyone conveniently forgets that they've traded their 2026 and 2027 picks, and yeah, like the way that these deals are set up, it's designed for like it's of course it's going to seem like it's working early. You didn't the things right. that you traded haven't even come to fruition yet. Of course, right. hey, it's, this is great. Like it's almost like arbitrage. We got something now. Like we don't have to pay any consequences. Well, yeah, you do. It's just not in everyone's mind right now because it's years into the future. And we also haven't seen kind of the ultimate success. Um, like the Clippers, I th- think the Clippers are almost. Uh, Especially with with Kawhi blowing out his knee in the in the playoffs. Well, well the year. Bucks, the Bucks yeah. would have to be ultimate success, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, but I, but yeah, but I'm saying that 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 uh, for the most part, like we like you know, there's been kind of two teams that have gone through cycles with this, and that's the Lakers and and the Bucks, and they've obviously won the last two champions championships. Yeah. And you know the the Clippers are going to be a team that may it might get viewed as unsuccessful, but again, I think that's I think that's going to be a harsh judgment in retrospect based on again I think I think if Kawhi doesn't injure himself last year, they have a very good chance of certainly making the finals if not winning the title. Yeah. And um, 
but yeah, but it's it's but we haven't seen you know a team like like the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls are are certainly better than they would have been had they not this year had they not made the DeRozan trade. But are they ultimately going to get to that level? Um, I think we share skepticism about that, even though they are better than we thought they'd be. I think we're both. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as a as someone who grew up a Bulls fan, as you did, but uh, um, I mean, would you agree with me on that? For starters, well, to be clear, I've grown out of being a Bulls yes, fan. Yes, yeah, but, grown up and grown out, but yes, yeah. Uh, doing uh, um, this for a living has a way of of, of murdering fandom uh, several times over. You know, I think that I I I would say if I had to guess right now, it probably would be worth it. I mean, they only gave up a 2025 first what's the protection on that anyway it's pretty light isn't it let me see it is top 10 yeah top 10 top eight. yeah that's i mean that's worth it just even, i would say even just to get DeRozan's production for this year i mean we'll see how this year turns out but let's say they continue on they get a top four seed in the east and you know hard fought first round loss or get into the second round i think that's worth giving up a 2025 person yeah they paid him they paid him a lot and they're gonna have a big tax bill for next year but yeah i think this team can be pretty good particularly if levine uh resigns and and continues to improve you know i really think it's it it goes more to me with the vucevic deal where they gave up the two first i mean that's franz wagner right if they how would they look if they had franz wagner on their team right now and then and also now, Vucevic has been, I think, underrated for how much he's helped them this year because he's having a poor individual year, but he does still space the floor. Like He does make this spacing challenge team work a lot on the offensive end. He's starting to play better now. He's been better than I expected defensively as well as room protection has actually been like reasonable. But surely a team with him in the playoffs is, is not – they're not going to win these. Like, I, I feel comfortable with that. So it kind of just gets more into – you know, what is the point of owning a team? What is the point of fandom? I mean, it seems for this ownership group to have empty seats and just to have been languishing for as long as they had, that that just wasn't acceptable and they needed to get back to relevancy. And perhaps there also would be some deal in the future for a guy who would want to go to Chicago now. They're a destination again. They're all of that. We've seen teams kind of stair-step up in that way to get back to relevancy again. Like, I think what they've done this year, like, because I thought, okay, they're going to still be struggling in the play, and that hasn't been the case. Hopefully it won't be, especially if everyone comes back. I think to get to where they've gotten to this year, that was a totally fine price to play, even if the DeRozan contract does turn sour later on, which I think at least, given the way he's playing this year, I think he's got at least one more good year left in him where it's, it's, he's worth the money. That's that's totally fair, and I think that's that's something that, um, I think that that I'm certainly guilt, guilty of, and I think that that people who tend to look at the game from a cap perspective at times can say, "Look, oh man, the out years are going to be bad." It's like, well, the 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 first two years matter also. So it's it's kind of like you know the first time I remember this was the Richard Lewis deal with uh, Orlando. It's like, yeah, it was yeah. bad on the back end, but you sign a guy in free agency and you go to the finals and you're the best team in the league before your best player hurts himself the next year. It's just like, okay, you maybe, but like it, but you overpaid like correctly. you like, you over, you overpaid in a vacuum for something that was situationally pretty important. 
and and I think that that I I am certainly guilty of this um, on more uh, on somewhat frequently I guess but it, it but that's that's always something to keep in mind that the we tend to we tend to either look at right now or four years from now and like the the in between can be forgotten at times. Well, I I will I will say this in our defense, most of the time when we have this criticism of hey what are you doing here to chase the eighth seed? What is the point of this? That turn when decisions are made to do that, they largely turn out to be wrong. And the Bulls, they had more upside than that. But yeah. I mean, let's look at the last few years for the Kings or the Wizards or the Hornets not trading Kemba Walker and then just letting him go, for example. And there have been a lot of these moves or, or the entire Stan Van Gundy era in Detroit, the, the Blake Griffin trade. You know, there are a lot of times when teams are just making moves that just don't have any kind of an upside at all. I agree we're guilty of not counting well enough what the upside for the Bulls is. Also worth noting, too, the fact that the Miami Heat and the Nets and the Bucks have all been either injured or really struggling with a bunch of stuff or whatever, that 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 wasn't something that you could have seen in July, right? Like the Bulls, and they've had their injury issues too, but even at, at full strength, I don't think that the Bulls would have been a serious threat to any of those three teams. So you are still kind of, if they were healthy, so the fact that they've been like number one in the East, and you know, I think that really overrates what should be expected. You know, they really kind of are more that this, let's say, what, what are they now, like, you know, 33 and 19 or something like that there that's not normally a top of the east type of team acknowledging again that they've made a big effort and a big improvement sure no i think i, I think that's i think that's right um so looking ahead like not specific to to those to those things but more to what we're going to see in the next week um having done the exercise in detail are you expecting it to are you expecting anyone who and we the the bar for this, who knows where we can set it, but anyone who who kind of matters in a in a title swinging or or a title equity standpoint changing destinations, or are we going to see a lot more um financial engineering moves? Well, certainly, there are teams that just desperately need to get out of the tax and that and that's going to happen. I mean those aren't aren't very exciting. I mean, I think there are players available. I don't know about swinging the title, but I think swinging playoff series for sure, because there are teams that have a lot of talent, but also have some pretty clear holes. So, you know, Jeremy Grant is someone who I think could really help the Utah Jazz. Does he swing a title for them? Maybe not. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of the, like Harrison Barnes is someone who could really help a team like say the Lakers or the Bulls teams that just have a, a little bit of a hole there. There also, I think, are players available like Miles Turner. I don't see him going to a team that's going to be a championship contender this year, but I think he could be a big part of a team that's younger over the course of the next few years, where that team, you know, a Charlotte or a New Orleans or a New York, where they're not title contenders now, but they could certainly really improve by getting someone like him. And, you know, there's still Ben Simmons out there, too. 
That's that's true. Um, so, I, I, first of all, uh, yeah, yeah, I see you in the in the comments, trying to thinking, asking questions. If you can, if you raise your hand again, I'll bring you up to ask your question. But speaking of Ben Simmons, um, we've kind of got the the will will he or won't he uh, wheel has spun again, and now we're getting the I would say the inevitable James Harden rumors um, based on 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 Harden um, reportedly being disgruntled in in Brooklyn. But for, why was that inevitable? No, I mean not 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 the not necessarily the 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 hardened part of it, but the the fact that the, I mean you know with with, with two weeks to go, oh Ben Simmons isn't getting traded, with a week to go Ben Simmons might get traded. I mean I think that I think that cycle, regardless of sort of uh, what the names were, I was was somewhat inevitable. I think um, now it, it's, oh, okay. it's, yeah. it's a it's a lot spicier because it's hardened, but but so but speaking of that, like you know I. Starting from the standpoint of a big deal like that is much more much less likely to happen than it is. It does kind of make some sense on its face, or am I am I looking at it wrong? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so much of this really matters with what Kyrie's status is, too, right? If it's just you're going to acquire Ben Simmons, and then it's going to be. Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant and Kyrie is going to leave because he still can't play in New York, or he's just, you know, generally pissed off at the jurisdiction of New York for banning him from playing home games. And you're still, I mean, Kevin Durant is, this is probably the best remaining year that he has considering his age. And so, you know, if you could say, Hey, Kyrie is going to play for sure. And Ben Simmons is going to be playing at his, maximum and KD is also going to play and oh by the way Joe Harris who's their fourth best player and is incredibly important to them for a fit standpoint might not play again this year he might have to have another surgery I think you can construct a scenario in which they would be better off with this particularly because Harden compromises their defense so much I thought Shams report was interesting in talking about oh they have to change up their schemes so much when he's in there and like yeah, that's defense, right? Like, he can't get through a screen. You basically have to switch any screen involving James Harden, and that messes you up a lot defensively. I was kind of critical of the Harden trade to begin with because I felt like it was just adding more offense, which they didn't need, where they actually needed to get better defensively. You already have Katie and Kyrie last year. As it turned out, their offense, when they had those three guys together, was so unbelievable. Nothing else mattered, and they just – haven't been able to keep all those three guys together. So I think if you could just guarantee me that Harden, Kyrie, and Durant were all going to be out there, I would prefer that trio for this year. However, also having to pay James Harden this unbelievable huge extension of $50 million a year for five years, either in a new contract or an opt-in and extend, when you throw in the possibility of you know, his health, his age, potential quick recline, the fact or decline that he's not that great of a fit with Kyrie and KD because he doesn't really defend. Um, and, and, you know, they want to move the ball a little bit more without him. All that stuff, you know, he doesn't provide a ton of effort on the defensive end. You put all that together, and then you've at least got Ben Simmons, who is going to fit better there than basically anywhere else he's going to go and is at least under contract at a semi-reasonable number as opposed to you know 35 million years instead of 50 it does make some sense to me um 
it's just there's so many unknowns right, as well. Right. Like it could turn out better, it might not turn out better. It's the thing with the Nets is they're is they're twenty four and twelve when KD plays. So like they're they're obviously yeah. right well, now, and I think they're thirteen and three when all three of those guys play, and they had the greatest offensive series in NBA history in the one series that those guys played together. Yeah, it, it, but I'm just just the, like it, it feels to me like the been. Uh, have as bad as this like last couple three weeks has been for them. It does seem like they're being overly discounted, but swapping Harden's like offense for, I think a player who who frankly fits better and and fills more holes. Them, assuming again, several different things. It kind of that, that that kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, the interesting part, the more interesting part for me is is as you pointed out, like the reasons why it's. It, it it is probably not the optimal trade for Philly. Um, just cause, like Harden and Harden and Harden, I don't think Harden and Embiid fit together any particularly better than Simmons and and Embiid. You know, I, like I do think that there's, I I think they fit together well because I think Harden is not the isolation scorer they used to be. He would really much prefer playing out a pick and roll at this point in time. And you're probably not going to switch when Joel Embiid is the guy setting the screen because then you're in a massive mismatch with, you know, one of the best post scores in NBA history. And so I think that aspect is probably good for them. Um, you know, Embiid has never been an unbelievable pick and roll player, but I think you could see the way that he's improved his face up game as well. Now he can kind of play the way. You know, Harden doesn't move the way that Jamal Murray does, but in the sense that Harden can just come off the screen and B doesn't even necessarily have to roll. You just, so the big man has to help off Embiid. You throw it back to Embiid, and now that you're trying to close out on Embiid the same way as with Jokic, and Embiid can just get ahead of steam into the lane and, and score. He's been so good as a driver this year. I think that's appealing. I would like it a little bit better if Harden had more of his isolation games still. You know, he's 32. He just doesn't have that as much anymore. Um, you know, I think you could go zone against them. Like, Philly is really struggling with zone this year. Harden is not really a great zone guy. But they just, like, this is a team that's really low on passing. And Harden's passing would be good, especially also if they could retain Maxi, where and he could just really concentrate on scoring. I, I think it would be pretty good. I, I don't know that I would pick them to win the East at that point, but I think they would be a contender. I mean, you also, Embiid hasn't played well in the playoffs. Harden has never played well in the playoffs. You've kind of got that issue as well. But, uh, I, I mean, who, what's the other, what's the road less traveled in, in terms of this? Uh, you address, it, to, it, that's, there's, no, I, there's no deal that's going to make you more of a championship contender this year than this Harden deal, right? I, I think that's right, unless somehow unless somehow Beal becomes available, um, and I think Harden's a better player than Beal. But um, no, it's, I'm glad you brought up Maxi because that's sort of the sort of the, the 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 conversation around this is that that Philly would trade Simmons and a bunch of other stuff for Harden, and it, like the bunch of other stuff is what kind of makes it like sort of a um, would would be the worrying part if you if you like if you think if yeah. you're thinking the, of the deal, they then, wouldn't they yeah. wouldn't put Maxi in that deal. I yeah. feel pretty confident. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I yeah. think that for me, that would like that would be sort of a, the the line of like, no, that's 
Like, we'll, we'll let's try again this off season if we need to, because I've, I've, I, my perception has always been like Daryl recognizes that, or Daryl Morey recognizes that as presently constituted, the Sixers have 0% chance of winning the title and a trade that doesn't get that up to at least like 5% is just not worth doing because that's, that's your, that's your big move. And, and if you've done that, it, yourself okay a a friskier second round opponent have you done um and and you know that I, that, that doesn't not make sense to me as as sort of unseemly as you know a player of, of simmons stature just kind of refusing to play for a year for you know we don't i don't think we need to litigate why but it just it's uh <laughs> it, you know that um yeah um so th- that aside like the, that that seems like the only I shouldn't say the only because, you know, that's the best way to get surprised. But that seems like the, the the one realistic Simmons deal that Philly would actually do that's out there. Um, first of all, do you agree with that statement? Second of all, what uh, what's the ne- what's the big move if that doesn't happen? Is there a big move if that doesn't happen? For Philly, you mean? Or no, just just just, just across just across the league, just for for us us uh, us watchers of the transit of the transaction game. Well, there is this Beal noise recently. It see my best guess on that is he's trying to just make a little bit of noise so that they'll trade for Demonte Simonis. That seems like what the point of this is. So, so that they'll throw in and, you know, hey, the, these unbelievable guys you drafted like Kispert and Avdia and Hachimura, hey, maybe you could give up those guys for someone who can help me now because those guys aren't now and probably never will, even though, you know, the Wizards seem to think those guys are awesome. So the, I don't I anticipate a Beal move. I think that seemed kind of more like posturing at this point in time. So and the, it sounds like the Wiz are fine just giving him that massive five-year deal after this, which I'm not a huge fan of for a team in their position. But it, it is what it is. A, a team in their point. a team in their position and a player of his, you know, this is where the the gradations of of talent kind of matter. Like a player of his caliber, if it's if you're talking about a you know a, a guy who's routinely talked about as like a first or second team All NBA guy, let it rip. But when you start to get maybe he's a third team NBA all NBA guy, it's just that's and at best that seems like that's just a little bit too far to to kind of go all the way in unless your team is is already really good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is we're not talking even thirty percent max. We're talking probably thirty five percent max. Like he's got he's got ten years of experience now, right? After this year, yeah. so uh, no, that's that's kind of why he set it up to be this way. I mean, that's, yeah. you're talking about, I mean, I'll get the numbers in a second here, but I mean, you'd be looking at a five year, the max he could get would be five years, 245 million. That's just, wow. That's, you know, I think we've been inured to the funny money aspect a little bit, but that seems like it's just a crazy amount for a top, you know, a guy who's, who's not in the top 10, but maybe in the top 20 players in the league that is that a is it, would you that's a, that's, a, that's a fair estimate of like peak of of, of Beal's peak ability right I mean I've done my top 10 players in the NBA now since uh, 2014 and 
you know, we'll go down into honorable mentions and, and I'll usually end up ranking him into like 15, 16, 17. He's certainly never been in the top 15 for me. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you, it's interesting. You mentioned the, the 35% max. Um, something I've, I've noted before that I've, I've always found interesting is it's, it's been like the conventional wisdom that for like superstar players, it's impossible to overpay them with the individual max in place. And the, with the 35% max and, you know, full raises, you know, you get to the end of those and actually it's very possible to, to, to now uh, find a way to, to overpay for even, even like all but the very best players in the game, like all but like Jokic and Giannis and, and, and maybe a couple other guys. It, it really seems like, like those, especially because those 35% contracts are available for players who are almost by definition entering what should be the decline, declining from their peak. Um, that, that's sort of a interesting sort of almost poison pill aspect that's been introduced in the system in, in the CBA. Yeah. I mean, if you just go and look at guys who were, I mean, it's not even introduced in this CBA. It's going back even to the 99 CBA. It's probably kind of an artifact of the fact that in the late nineties guys who were like the league, the best players were artificially older because the 88 to 91 drafts were all terrible. And so, you know, you had like 35 year old Jordan was the best player and, you know, Patrick, Patrick Ewing and Akeem Olajuwon, all these guys had still been good very recently up until then, Carl Malone. So now, yeah, I mean, if you go and look at NBA history, though, you're talking about guys who are, say, 32, 33 or older, and you wanted to say how many of those guys in those in any season 32 or 33 or older would be worth, in terms of their production, the 35% max or more? I mean, that's maybe 10 names. You know, you got Kareem, Steph, LeBron, KD. You know, Harden is, Harden is, his production this year, I would say, is probably not there at age 32. Uh, and it's, now again, MV, like, it's MVP level production, is basically what, what it is to. Yeah, I, like, I mean, first first or second team All NBA. I mean, I mean, you can even just go back and look at that. Right? All, all NBA is not perfect, but I would guess of guys maybe 32, 33 or older, and Beal's a little bit younger than that, but he also is never at the level. I mean, we'll put it this way. Bradley Beal has never produced, I would say, an amount that is a level of production commensurate with the salary that he would earn even next year in that deal, uh, that Supermax deal. But, yeah, I mean, how many guys have made All-NBA at age 32, 33 or older? There's not – or first or second team All-NBA, we should say. Like, not that many. Yeah, and and I bet if we went through those, we'd probably find a few that were like, "Ooh, I don't know about that one." In retrospect, but yeah, yeah like, like more the, more reputation. I mean, even Kobe, yeah. right? Kobe was having a pretty good year, and that at, and I think that was his age thirty three season, and then he was basically done after that, tearing tearing the Achilles. Yeah, and, after I mean post Achilles. You know, I mean, yeah, you've got yeah. Jordan, yeah, Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Steph, KD. Magic, I think was was uh, Magic would have been worth it actually if he had continued on. <laughs> yeah. You know, so Bird just, was just you know top by that point, top ten players of all time basically are. It seems like where is yeah. is where we're landing on. If you have a top ten player of all time, this is a great contract, which is yeah, not exactly Dirk, great team building advice. Yeah, Dirk was thirty two. 
in 2011, but really he wasn't worth that after that year. Uh, you know, KG was probably like right around there. Then he got that knee injury. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if we're talking about at least like a top 50 player of all time, not a great contract. Now, if you're in position to potentially win a championship and you're going to lose the guy, right? all right, pay it, pay it now, and you could win a couple of championships, and then you just have to deal with it on the back end. But uh, I don't think that describes the Washington Wizards. It's, uh, it's a hot take there. Um, there. There seems like it seems like the next big name out there is a guy who is just kind of – a guy to me, maybe, and maybe I'm too low on 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 him. Jeremy player, Grant, but Jeremy Grant, yeah. Like, <laughs> how how'd you know I was going there? It's almost like we've talked about this before, um, or maybe maybe we haven't. But but uh, I, I think I think even if we hadn't talked about it that much, I could have just predicted that you would you would be low on on Grant anyway. I mean, I think he. The interesting thing is he was a in his his last year in Denver, he was an extremely useful playoff guy the problem is is he is now he's entered a role and probably just from a from an age and athletic standpoint um that doesn't have that same playoff usefulness and the kind of the kind of role he has been and seemingly wants to play now he's probably not good enough at to be a difference maker at a second round plus level yeah, we'll see. I think he could be a pretty good fit in Utah. That's where he ended up in the the mock trade yeah. deadline, although it was a dear, dear price to pay. Because I, I think he, as particularly with Ingles out, I think they actually, you know, they they run a bunch of pick and rolls. They move the ball. He he could he could get some chances until the, until the playoffs. They move the ball. Then they stop moving yeah. the ball in the playoffs. Well, and, in that's part whole... because teams are switching yeah. against them too. You yeah, know, that's uh, yeah, their pick and roll game do- doesn't work as well there, but. Yeah, I think, and you know, to just give them a guy, another guy in the perimeter who can move, he he provides a little bit of rim protection. Although that's probably always been an overrated aspect of his game, even when he was you know playing backup center in OKC. But I think he's someone. I don't know what to make of the Jazz right now. It does seem like they're sort of sort of. Uh, well, no, actually, I, I was going to say they're Brooklyn West. No, that's actually the no. Lakers. But but no, I no, I think. I, no, I think that that's I think that's right because I I don't think like the the best version of of this Jazz roster I think is a is a is a contending team and it just as the best version of this Brooklyn roster is I don't think the best version of this the current Lakers roster is 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 a legit contender even with LeBron. Oh, I, I do let me think ask that, you this. Yeah, on the Lakers. Yes. What would they have to add? Because LeBron and AD AD is actually playing really well since he came back. Guys are still really good, and LeBron was was playing awesome. Like they, they have, I think, a foundation where those two guys are still capable of being the two best guys on a championship or championship level team. What would they need to add? Well, let's just forget about whether it's realistic for them to do that or not. What would they need to add or subtract to uh, <laughs> to to get that to get to where they need to be to actually be in the mix to be up front? Kyle Kuzma and Contavious Caldwell Pope. <laughs> I mean, no, but that, I mean, like, it's, it's, you know, the, A, it's, it's, it's funny, but like, that's the exact, the, the, like the two exact player types they need, like a, like a, another, uh, like a big swing forward who can take, you can, you know, hit shots, defend, you know, take, take the uh, tougher defensive assignments for LeBron for the bulk of games and, and, uh, you know, and rebound and uh, a, a big guard who can defend and, and at least has to be guarded at the three point line. Um, which are you know they they don't have on their roster, um, 
give or take what we think of Trevor at this point in his career. Um, so, it, I mean, it's it's it is almost I don't want to say it's ironic, but it's 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 a glib answer. But the guys they traded for Westbrook are exactly what those what what AD and 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 you know and and LeBron need need next to them now. Maybe especially in in the in the sense of KCP, maybe a slightly better version of of that player. But still, like those are the archetypes that that they that they should be looking at. Like maybe so maybe say, not uh, maybe not KCP yeah. maybe two years ago Dan, who dad sure. Yeah, I mean, I do think if they if they just had the same roster from last year except no shooter and got some other guard in, they would probably. Uh, now they've had the injury issues too, but I think at full yeah. strength they would they would be a threat. Well, let's say, let's say they were able to get Harrison Barnes, right? I, I thought that was someone that they could have pursued. They got their 2027 first. They've got THC. Let's say that were enough to get Harrison Barnes. And then on the buyout market, they were able to get a center who's way better than DeAndre or Dwight, who could maybe even potentially, if not start for them, at least be a backup when AD's out of the, you know, let's say they got Robin Lopez to play backup center. If they did that, would they be now? And also, let's keep in mind they're going to be coming from the play, and that makes things play a lot harder too. But if they did that, would they be back at that level? Do you, like, there's a chance they could be at that level. No, I think that's I think that's a reasonable point. And by the way, like Harrison Barnes, like it it kind of seems like it's it's interesting that people are 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 putting got to go get this guy. Um, um, kind of pecking order than Harrison Barnes because. I see them as at this point pretty equivalent players, maybe slightly different skill sets, but I think you, you know Bar- Barnes and Grant, Barnes and Grant, yeah. What, what did yeah. I say? Um, yeah, no, no. I, you just cut out for a second. Just, yeah, no, yeah. Bar- Barnes and Grant at, 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 at like so. Yeah, if they had like like Barnes is again in that in that same sort of wheelhouse, and maybe even a. I mean, I, I would say that at this point, Harrison Barnes is still a slightly better player than Kyle Kuzma, who's who's done a nice job turning himself into a, a pretty good role player. But I think Harrison sure. Barnes is still slightly better. Um, so yeah, you you kind of get some good backup minutes for for AD. You get, frankly, you get just some minutes that AD doesn't have to be on the floor the rest of the year. Like you mentioned, he's playing well since he came back. Um, it does he it is sort of worrisome in the similar way it was at the very beginning of the season. Remember, he came out the gates like a house on fire, but he was having to do so much on both ends that it was inevitable that he was going to break down just based on, you know, his his age and history of getting banged up every year. So just just having someone to take some minutes off him for the rest of the regular season would have pretty pretty sizable value for them, you know, heading into a playoff run. No, I think you're right about that. Yeah, and you know, just having I think they just to get because if you just look at their rotation, right, even when healthy right now, it is LeBron and AD, Westbrook is, you know, probably a negative player in most circumstances, but it's still probably their third best guy. And if it's not Westbrook, then who's their third slash fourth best guy? Is that Monk? I think it has. I think it's... And, yeah. And they've got Carmelo in the rotation, too. They've got Westbrook. There's just no way they're ever going to stop anybody with this personnel, even if you do have... LeBron and AD. 
And I think I think like again, it's the weird thing about their their kind of off season is they did really well with those kind of those kind of minimum type contracts. Um, if, and it seemed like they did, yeah. I know. I think I think as it's played out, like that, you know, just getting getting what they've gotten from Monk and Carmelo and Austin Reeves and even Avery Bradley a little bit, like that. Like that's that's so that's well above like what would be expectations for using those spots on minimum guys, basically. So, you know, at, they they've done as well as could and perhaps better than could reasonably be expected from the standpoint of trading what they traded for for Westbrook. And and that's just that I mean I think that just illustrates how just how ill conceived that move that move was as I think we basically all said at the time. That said, Austin Reeves might be their third best player or fourth best player at the end of the game. <laughs> and that's it's, like, it's, like he at least he played some team defense and he could shoot and pass a little bit. The rest, of the, he, he at least you know he could be attacked one on one. Like Reggie Jackson called him up for the screen on the game winning shot the other day, so he could go at him and, and did score. But well, that was he, Westbrook he also went like, for a steal. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, he at least fits. Sort yes. of. And, yeah, I mean, Horton Tucker, they were hoping that he could get in that mix. He's been terrible so far this year. But, but yeah, I mean, just to get as bad as you want to talk about the fit of Westbrook and how much he's been killing them and LeBron and AD, like you said, I think it's even it's more just the depth they traded for Westbrook. I think Westbrook could end up killing them. Who knows? Like, they, they did take him off the floor, even considering their depth issues uh, at the end of one game which they haven't done since, in part because LeBron's been out. But, yeah, I think it really just not having the depth is the hasn't even allowed the Westbrook ex- experiment the chance to succeed. Not that I think it necessarily would have anyway, and it was obviously a bad move, but it was a bad move not just because he his fit, but I would say even more so because of the depth they traded away to get him. That's right. It's, it's you know, what, you know, what – what he brings or takes away from the table almost doesn't matter because you're you're kind of you those those two other spots in the lineup you're just not getting enough from you're not getting you know if if it's going to be Russ that needs to be like like just pure spacing and defense and they have guys who can do one but not the other at the same time and that's just it's why they they have always have sort of these unbalanced lineups on the floor and you know, I think we've seen that that's the kind of at least in in kind of the the more competitive version of of today's playoff NBA, that's the kind of thing that gets you beat if you can't you know balance both things. I don't think like has there been a a team that has just offensed or just defensed its way to a title in the last like how many years? I, uh, I don't really think so. I mean, the way the Bucks played in the playoffs last year until the very end against Phoenix, I think you might say they just defensed it. <laughs> and you know that 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 that's probably fair. Although that's, I mean, we did. Is that is that was that a structural thing, or is that them just like having decent shooters miss every shot for for basically two straight rounds? No, I mean they, um, they were they were a top ten offense. They've been a top ten offense uh, as well. I mean, and Brooklyn had they won it last year, if uh, they stayed healthy, they you would think surely would have. That would have been kind of all offense, but. Also worth noting, I think that last year was basically the easiest path to a title that just about any team has had. So 
it's it, when you consider the all the injuries that that happened. So I mean, like last year was not kind of a quote unquote real year in terms of how difficult it was to win the championship. You've made at least one member of the audience very angry now, just looking at who's in there, and he's very he's very upset with you for for putting it that way. That was that was Nate who said that, Sky, not not me. Just to be clear, um, <laughs> um, no, I, I I you know I I I always bristle at sort of regardless of any sort of like asterisk talk when it comes to. To and I, and I, I'm not saying you're doing this. It's just like every every team that's ever won a title has gotten lucky, even if it's avoiding oh, no, being oh, unlucky. Sure. Yeah, I acknowledge that, but I mean, you can just compare the path that the team had historically, and yeah. also what they did against that path. Right? It's not like the Bucks exactly dominated the totally injured Nets, and you know, were basically should have gotten swept. There, you know, one Drew Holiday shot with 10 seconds left being swept when the Nets weren't at full at full strength I mean, like th- that's you know i'm not making that part of this up right yeah There's, no and and you know the 17 warriors i think you could say until they got to the Cavs, they didn't really have to play anybody either but once Kawhi went out in particular but they also just completely dominated that slate and you know, right. didn't lose a game until the very last game of, of the finals it, whereas yeah, the the Bucks, I think it's fair to say they did not dominate a slate that was historically pretty easy. That their win against the Suns was pretty good. You know, I mean, that, like the Suns were a good team. Like that was a real NBA Finals. Uh, but I, I think I think, that, I think this year has. Th- I think this year will probably make that look better in retrospect as well. Just how good Phoenix has been this year. Sure, sure. Um, I, I think that's I, fair. Actually, let's talk about the Suns since since we're there. Um, Boring. I, oh, well, forty-one and ten. Yeah. Who cares? Um, I've been saying for about a month that they're going to win. That I think they're going to win the title this year. Why am I wrong? On them winning the title? Yeah. Um. Like, like I, I mean, yeah, obviously, good. like there's no team. There's no. That's like I, th- I, you know, I'm being glib. Like they are the team that is most likely to win the title right now. I mean, I don't think there's any team that has, I don't know, is there a team that even has like 25 percent championship equity right now? I, I don't know, but I think that they are, to my mind, they are they are the sort of the plurality favorite, um, fairly clearly. I guess is the actual claim I'll make, not the sort of bombastic one I led with. Um, I would say if Draymond is healthy, I would favor the Warriors over them, even if Phoenix had home court. Are you not worried about the 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 Warriors' just extreme reliance on Curry for creating offense? Like that's. Yeah, that... I think I I think Clay might get there. Um, to to be or between Clay and Poole, like they they have an or Wiggins, they have enough that on an individual night there'll be a. There will be a second guy. And I also think that Phoenix, they are still, although they are the one of the maybe the best, most versatile versions of this in NBA history, they are still reliant on a conventional pick-and-roll defense on going against them and playing a conventional pick-and-roll defense on the other. So I think the Warriors have a little bit of a systemic advantage. And I also think, uh, the Warriors' defense is a little bit better than the Suns at peak. They can play more ways defensively. And I also think that Steph is still the best player in the series. So I, I would go there now. The Warriors being fully healthy, the Suns 
seem to never get hurt uh, unless it's Chris Paul uh, unlucky related in the playoffs. But uh, so I think, and Phoenix a pretty decent bet to have home court as well. So that I, I think that series would be very close to a toss up, but I would probably favor Golden State over them. I just think they have a little bit more ways to play a little bit more playoff experience. And they also have more depth than the Suns as well to withstand injuries that like kind of the, you know, in the four through seven spots of the roster. It, this is interesting. You say playoff experience. I think there's an interesting inversion from last year where the Suns had very little playoff experience except for like Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. And the Warriors, if you look at it, um, they don't like aside from from Steph and, and Draymond and, and, and Clay. I mean, that's a big aside from like the rest of their relevant guys don't really have that much. Oh, Plath. Oh, Porter, so. Porter, Looney. Like those are probably guys in their top seven or eight. I think really like Poole and Wiggins are the only guys that are they're like really really counting on. Poole, Wiggins, and JTA. Like Gary uh, he, he won't be in the rotation. Yeah, in the I mean Gary. I mean Gary. I, you know, I would Peyton certainly expect. Will. Yeah, I would certainly yeah. expect. But Peyton, Peyton also like he doesn't he doesn't need to do playoff experience yeah. stuff, right? Like he just needs to run around and play with great effort yeah. and. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so I don't know. I, I like I could see that that going either way. Um, but Phoenix, you know, they're going to have home court advantage throughout the playoffs, and also the Draymond thing still is a concern yeah. until you actually see him back healthy. You have to maybe discount the chances that he's going to be out there in the playoffs. Yeah, I think. I mean, the one thing you you are pointing out that I've maybe undersold is um, I think Clay's willingness to create offense is almost as important as his ability. I think that there was for, I think the, the thing that in many ways kind of precipitated Steph's kind of lengthy slump was the fact that a, a lot of guys, even, even pool at, at oftentimes kind of got, got sucked into Steph is so good. He'll take care of it. And almost uh, a passivity, which I don't think is, I don't think is tenable. In, in, in a playoff scenario. I mean, I think it, it was that that was to a large degree their undoing in the play-in game last year when, you know, Memphis very, you know, intentionally was, you know, denying and bodying and all that to Steph and everyone else was like, oh, will Steph do something? And, and it, it, you know, it was close, but it, 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 that would be a scenario that would be hard for me to see them, like, making through four series, even as kind of weakened as the West is compared to previous seasons. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to, like, the Warriors are going to be, uh, certainly when healthy, a 60-win team. The Suns are going to be a 60-win team. I mean, that's that's going to be two really good teams playing, yeah. I, I think. And, and even Utah, when healthy, is kind of played it pretty close to that pace, I would say. And then Denver might get their guys back, uh, or not Porter probably, but they might get Murray back. They could be dangerous as well. You know, I think Dallas is going to be a fifty solid 50-win type of team. Like, I think the West, despite the fact that everyone was crapping on the West and they've had all these issues. Like, I think it actually could end up. You still have LeBron and AD in the Lakers, probably in the seventh or eighth seed. Uh, I think the West is actually going to be a little bit of a bloodbath in the end. Memphis, we haven't even talked about Memphis yet. Like, yeah. they're they're really good. They're hard to play against. They could. I mean, I don't think they're going to, but they could really make a move to improve. So, uh, Danny and I I'm, talked about that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, no, let, let's who, who talk, do you let's like talk. in the East, real quick? Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll no, let you let you no, steer let, let, to, um, to finish up. I mean, the East, the East, kind of it just it sort of seems like the Bucks to lose, just sort of lacking any other 
Oh, like like oh, by I, default, I would pick the Heat as of right now. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. I um, I'm I very think... worried about the Bucks depth unless Brooke Lopez can come back. Yeah, that's Lopez. Uh, that's fair. Although you know they they did sign Greg Greg Monroe today, so that's a that's a you know that's the key addition. Um, at the same time, though, I it's it's just that they're the the Bucks top three is so good when when they're healthy and they have they they do have you know some like good role players around them i think bobby portis is someone who's who's uh really surprised me the last two years at, at how effective a a two-way player he's been um you know there was there's times in the brooklyn series where it got a little ugly but other than that i mean he was um, yeah i i still think of him as a one-way player whatever i think within his capability he's been better yeah. but they still have to blitz with every pick and roll that he's involved in, and that really can mess up your defense in the playoff if you have that's, to do that. That's true. Although, although having Giannis on the back line does does make that kind of uh, that that kind of uh, effort a little yeah. more a little more plausible. No, I think. Yeah, I, but I, against I, a team like the Heat that moves the ball and has a lot of shooters, uh, I, I think that could be difficult. I don't know. I think I think Miami's defense. I think they have the second best playoff defense right now behind Golden State. Do they have the second best defense with lineups that have a lot of shooting? That's that's like you say they have a lot of shooting. That's a lot of Max Struess, a lot of Duncan Robinson, a lot of Tyler, Tyler Hero. So that's like, yeah. You think, I mean, you I guess think about well, their, like, their closing lineup. Yeah, is probably going to only be one of those guys. So right, yeah, Lowry. You're basically got and PJ Tucker has been shooting it well, but he's still going to stand in the corner most of the time. So. Uh, maybe they don't. Maybe it'll just end up kind of being uh, being a rock fight. I mean, I think that's what I would expect in a Bucks and Heat series. Yeah, it's very, uh, very uh, could be straight out of Chris Herring's book kind of series. Yeah, um, but but no. like last year, I thought Brooke Lopez to me in their sweep of the Heat was so incredibly important because he just was totally in Bam Adebayo's head. Nobody could get anything at the rim. And they didn't have enough shooting really to break Brooke Lopez out of that. And now having Kyle Lowry, I think, is, will make things easier as well. Bam, hopefully, is better. Uh, and also just their defense will be way better with Tucker as well. So that's why I think I, I think the Heat are gonna, would struggle to score on the Bucks with Lopez. Without Lopez only having the one good rim protector in Giannis, then I think Miami could break them open a little bit more easily. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that... that... My sense here locally is there isn't like there's concern, but not really panic about the Brooke Lopez situation, if that makes sense. So it so I, you know, I, I I think I would be more confident in Lopez being on the floor in the playoffs than I would Draymond Green at this point. Now, part of that is just like I probably am more aware of of kind of what's going on with Brooke living here. And you're probably more aware of what's going on with, with Draymond living there. So. Um, but that's, that's again, just sort of the, 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 without any like reporting to back that up, that's just kind of the, that's the word in the streets, I'll say. Um, well, there's also a question of just what a guy, a 33 year old coming yeah. off back surgery, how effective he's actually going to be Yeah. as well. You no. know, I would put it at about 50% chance that he's able to play as well as he played last year. Yeah, no, I think that's right. But I think even, but even him being able to give them 20 pretty good minutes, in, in not even at you know a level slightly below last year or somewhat below last year, I think even that is a is a you know for worries about their depth, especially in the front court. Even that would be just a massive boon. 
yeah i've i'm actually like pretty excited for these playoffs this has been a fun talk yeah. so i i'm i'm kind of fired up to see how this all plays out i think it's as long as we're not completely torpedoed by injuries again i think this could be a really awesome playoffs on on both sides you've got a lot of kind of new teams you've got old teams that are reloading as well and how all that fits together and what some of the strategic implications of that are in playoffs series i think is going to be really fascinating sure let me let me get you out of here with one more question you brought the grizzlies up and i kind of want to close on the 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 kind of i think the two sort of exciting surprising teams this year are you know as good as the bulls have been but I, i still i think it's still like the grizzlies and the Cavs. Like, what, what do we expect out of them in the playoffs this year? I think, you know, the Grizz have been there for a year, so that's a little bit different. But are are they teams that, that we think are playoff dangerous, or is it too early for them? Too early for the Cavs, for sure. Um, I think that the Grizzlies are very reliant on forcing turnovers, and I'm not sure how well that is necessarily going to translate over the course of a playoff series against the certain teams i think they are still a little bit easy to guard when it you know if you're really preparing for them in a playoff series it um it, where that you know maybe that's wrong and if they can go jaron at center or they maybe get someone else in there and they're healthy to play the four and they can really spread the floor for jaw then maybe that kind of changes things as well i, I don't know about the grizz i mean i think they're just they're young enough that I'm just not sure I'm going to trust Jaron Jackson to do things like stay out of foul trouble and to really bomb it from the outside. Like he's, he goes left every time. That's something that teams can deal with. I think they're just, there's still some refinements missing in the games of some of these guys that haven't been tested by the playoff crucible. And maybe I'll be wrong about that, but generally teams that are guys who are this young that they're relying on, I think they'll probably be a solid chance to win a first round series, but I don't think I would favor them in the second round. I mean, if they played the full strength jazz versus Grizzlies, what do you think? Um, man, I think I, that's, that's a good question. I think I would take the jazz, uh, the, the Grizz. I think that yeah. they, I think that yeah. the, if they had the, home court, which they will. Yeah. Probably. I, I think that the, you know, the, the jazz, Kind of their, their, basically their weakness on 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 at the forward spots would still, you know, be a be a problem. I, I mean, I think that they would they would obviously. I think both teams would struggle to keep the opposing guards out of the lane. Um, yes, but I think that I think that you know collectively, the Grizz would have between Jaron Jackson and and you know and Kyle Anderson and and with, if DeAnthony Melton's playing the three, I think they would just get more out of those spots to the point where kind of if, even if the backcourts like if, if Mitchell Conley versus Bain Morant largely canceled out like I think that that the edge and edge in the kind of the offense that they get from the forward spots would would I think uh, make me lean towards towards the Grizz but you know yeah I, with, I think it would, I think it would be a good series. I think it would be close yeah, yeah, I think it would I be a good I'd series. Probably, I, I mean, I'd want to see what the Jazz look like once they get everyone back healthy, and if they obviously if they make a move, a lot of this changes. So yeah, yeah, maybe this is a better better conversation to continue. And and quickly to answer your question on the Cavs, I wouldn't favor them in a first round series against basically any possible opponent that they could have. 
uh, assuming everyone were healthy. Yeah, I think the Rubio injury really capped their ceiling this year. Not not just because of his his own ability, although his you know defensive and, and his defensive and playmaking abilities shouldn't be underrated, but also just like all of a sudden we're in Brandon Goodwin territory, and you know and Chetty Osman playing backup point guard, and that's just that I, yeah. I don't see that working in the playoffs. Well, it's also they just don't have enough good players, and their best players right. aren't that good yet. Like they will be, I think, and also I. JB Bickerstaff doesn't really have like much of a playoff coaching resume either going up against the, a lot of the guys he might be going up against. So no, I think, yeah, there, I, I wouldn't say, and I, and honestly, like if the Cavs somehow ended up playing the Hawks, I would probably favor the Hawks over them. It's interesting. I mean, the, the Hawks, I mean, are, are probably the team that's, that's underperformed their talent level the most this year to this point. Fair to say. Oh god, there's so many of those. <laughs> I think, well, no, I mean, they're I, like 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 the Knicks have been a bit. The, the Knicks have been a big disappointment, but the Hawks like just have have substantially more talent than the Knicks do, I think. But that's a that's a me talking about the Knicks talent is a sure way for me to get myself in trouble. So we'll 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 end the discussion there. Um, Nate, thanks a lot for coming on. This is uh, it, I, I, always uh, always fun to chat with you, especially in recorded form. Um, and uh, appreciate it. anything you want to anything you want to plug on your way out. Well, yeah, check out uh, Danny and I announcing a game on NBA League Pass. We're doing Heat Wizards at seven Eastern on Monday. So if you are a League Pass subscriber, just click on the game uh, in the NBA app. There'll be a little banner that says uh, the NBA Strategy Stream. Nate Duncan and Danny Larue, and you can have us be your announcers. All right, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me. I am back on Monday with uh, with Big Waz, uh, Wozni Lambry from the from the Ringer coming on to to. We'll probably talk some more Knicks then um, and some other topics. And then on Wednesday, I have uh, a former analyst with the Sacramento Kings, now uh, now a multi sport analyst uh, in in sort of the team ownership realm, Chris Pickard coming on. Uh, and uh, I hope you join me for those. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on. My pleasure.